Shalom Aleichem, Shavua Tov, to all of you great listeners of this station that broadcasts Divrei Torah, Divrei Musa, Divrei Orerut, of course, religious music. This is Rabbi Albaz from SLC. You know, there was the era of the prophets, the Nevi'im, and from the prophets then came the Anshe Knesset Agdola. That is the the man of the great assembly. They were all Tamidei Hachamim. Well, there was 120 of them. And it says in Masechet Avot, Em Amru Shelosha Devarim. They said three things. This is the things that would make the, uh, the Jewish nation uh, survive better, thrive better, and stay with the religion of the Torah better. First of all, he says, Be patient when you render a judgment. This is talking to the Dayanim. You can't just take a case and say, Well, I had the same case uh, uh, last year, the two years ago, and the same say exactly. Oh, his, this is the ruling. No, each case is different. No two cases are identical. You have to be patient, take each one separately. And render proper justice. Proper justice means shalom, peace in the land. We need leaders. We need rabbis, leaders, sages. And those can come from almost anywhere. Could be from a, a poor person, a rich person, a smart person, not so smart person who's very much interested, the one who's not really that much interested. And say, therefore, he says, get as many Talmudim as possible, as many students as you can, because from there you at least someone, two, three, whatever, will come out to be great scholars and great leaders. He didn't come from a very rich family, not at all. But he had the potential. He became a great, the greatest posek of our generation. And the more people, the better off we can have. We can have Tamidei Hakamim. And finally, the third thing that they said, and I'm going to dwell a little more on this, Va'asu Seyag La Torah. Put a fence around the Torah. What does that mean? The Torah has certain mitzvot. In order not to violate the mitzvot, the hachamim would put a fence around it. This is similar to uh, if you have a garden that's full of delicious fruits, exquisite fruits, and you don't want anybody to just walk in and pick those fruits. You want that. What do you do? You put a fence around it. This way, they can't come in into the fruit itself. And this is what the Hachami have been doing. We have dozens and dozens of halachot, which are fences. I mean, uh, for example, uh, a common example, chicken and milk, for example. That's not The Torah doesn't talk about chicken and milk. It only talks about meat and milk. But that's the mitzvah 
has to do with meat and milk. But the Hachamim said, you know what? Can't just do that. Because then someone who's not so smart, he, he might say, oh, look, chicken, if I can have chicken and milk, well, why, not, why can't I have meat and milk? So the Hachamim said, I'm going to put a fence around that. He can't have chicken and milk. This way you don't come to the meat and milk altogether. This, this, this kind of fences have been established, instituted by the Hachamim in various different aspects and many disciplines, Shabbat, especially Shabbat. And we're not supposed to carry on Shabbat. The shofar, we don't blow the shofar on Shabbat. Why? Because maybe you'll come to carry. So therefore, they know in the, in, the, in, the, in the forbidden marriages too. The Torah only lists a certain number of forbidden marriages. But there are others which are not listed in the Torah. But they are the Hachamim. They made they, so these also you can't have those either. And they're listed in uh, in Evinaiza, Siman uh, 15. So there is such a thing as building a fence around the mitzvot. What is the basis for building a fence around it? What's the basis? So the Gemara brings a derasha. Uh, actually, from Masachet uh, Ma'at Katan. And it says over there, Ushma, Ravashi Amar, Ravashi says, Ushmartem et Mishmarti. You shall safeguard my statutes. What does that mean? Safeguard my statutes? Asu mishmeret le mishmarti. Meaning that put some kind of a fence around my statutes so that you don't come to actually violate the statutes themselves. This is a derasha uh, that the Gemara brings. But Misilati Sharim says that it's actually a direct evidence to this idea of putting a fence from the Torah that we read yesterday, from the parasha we read yesterday. And it was even repeated in the Haftarah again. That's it. That is the, the parasha of the Nazir. Basically, a Nazir, he cannot uh, cut his hair, he cannot mimitamek, cannot define himself by touching a corpse. He cannot drink wine or any intoxicating drink that comes from the grapes. Something, so basically, you should not be drinking wine. But then the Torah says, you know what? Not just wine. You can't have anything that comes from the wine. You can't have even the seeds of the grape. You can't have even the skin of the grape. Or anything that comes from the grape. He, in other words, he cannot have a grape lollipop. He cannot have grape juice. He cannot have a grape soda. Why? Because this is a fence so that the Nazir should not come to violate and drink the wine itself. Then he stays even from anything that comes out of the grape. Now, this same thing is repeated in the Haftarah which talks about Shimshon. And, and there, uh, when he appeared, 
He appeared twice. The Malach appeared twice. And the first time he told the uh, the mother of Shimshon where she should stay away from. And the second time again he appeared to the father and told him, not just the wine, but anything that comes out of, of the wine. The mother, even the mother, shall not have. Because Shimshon was supposed to be a Nazir Mibeten Imo from birth. So the mother, even while she's conceiving him, she can't have to stay away from those things. So these are fences, but Rabbi this idea of establishing fences should not be just for what it says in the Torah. It, 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 and it's not just for the pious for, or the Hasid or the Tzaddik. We should really establish ourselves. We should establish fences around things that we can do, things that we cannot do. Even for the plain person, especially for the plain people. So that we don't come to violate the rules of the Torah. Give you an example. You know, when you cross, you go through a certain street, there's a restaurant over there. It's not kosher, but it, it, it has the delicious food, and there's a smell as you pass by, and, and that gives you some kind of a So what do you do? Put a fence around that. Don't go through that street. What a different street. This way, that's it. He put a, he's a fence. You can do this from many, many different misvot. Someone comes to you, say, you know, it's a great show. Oh, terrific. You love it. Wait a minute. They tell you about the show. They don't tell you that at the same time that you're watching that show, you're losing a precious one or two hours during which you could be learning Torah. We have so many videos with Shi'orim that you can watch. Learn something from it. And at the same time, get a great reward for it. Let me, let me, let me tell you something here about uh, this idea of losing time for something while you could be learning. Is a case about Rabbi Akiva and it had to do with him and his teachers. This was about a, a met mitzvah. That is a person that's deceased and he's found uh, someplace in the street or in the field and there's obviously no one that's going to take care of him. That's called a met mitzvah. Anyone who sees that has an obligation to take care of that deceased person and provide proper burial. And the halakha is, you should bury him right where you find him. That's it. Find him there, bury him there. What Rabbi Akiva did, he found a met mitzvah. And what did he do? He carried that, that body. Arba'a milim. Arba'a mil, which is roughly three miles. He carried three miles in order to bury him in a more appropriate place of burial. Then when he went to his teachers, 
and he told him, oh, look what I did. I took this body and I went through three miles and then I buried him in a nice place. They said to him, you didn't do the right thing. You should have buried him right where, he, where you found him, right there. And all that time that you spent, you were mevatel learning Torah. You were, not, you were not learning Torah at the time. It took you three hours, you lost three hours of learning. Now, look at Rabotai. Rabbi Akiva was doing a great mitzvah. We're doing a great mitzvah of taking care of a person that had no one that, that can take care of. And yet, they're telling him, you remember learning Torah? But of course, Rabbi Akiva had his own way, his own opinion. His opinion is, sure, can bury a met mitzvah right where you find him. That's true. However, he probably held that if you can get a more, a better, a more appropriate place for him, a, a better place where it's a kavod, more kavod for the deceased person. So he held if you can bury more kavod. So maybe uh, it would be much better to carry him and put him in the proper place. There's another thing. There's a Mishnah in Masechet Tavot. It says, Akavya Bimahalalel Omer. Akavya Bimahal says, Look at three things, he says, and you won't come to sin at all. He said, Number one, try to find out, know where you come from, and where we could come from a drop. And go look, ponder about where are you going. Meaning, after 120, everyone goes back to earth. And then he says, Whom in the future you're going to stand for judgment? Front of the King of Kings. Blessed be. But look the way he used. He used liten din veheshbon. The judgment and the accounting of the sins. Din first, then heshbon. But shouldn't it be the other way around? Heshbon. Here's what you did. You did this, 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 and that. And then the din. And then give it a judgment. What it should be. How do we understand this idea din veheshbon? We can understand this from a ma'aseh that happened with Rabbi Sayyid Salam Shalom. A man comes over to him and he says, my neighbor was fighting, fighting with me, arguing. Oh yeah, at the end, he struck me. He hit me. He hit me hard. So he hit you? Yeah. So, he calls that man back into his office. He says to him, you know, you did two sins, he says to him. Two. One, you hit this man. That is a very grievous sin. And second, the time that you spent hitting this man, 
and arguing and fighting with him. That time he could have used to learn Torah. So first there was a dean. The dean was, he struck him. It was wrong. Then the Heshbon, what comes besides that? The reckoning of other sins that he did, which is Bitul Torah, or doing maybe some other mitzvah. This is, this is very important. We are born in this world, Rabotai, with a mission to do the best we can according to whatever capabilities Hashem gives us. And we are judged accordingly. It's obvious that a carpenter uh, may not be able to learn and grasp the teachings of the Torah like the Talmud Haka, but he will be judged according to what he could have done and decided not to do it. He can claim, look, I was busy making a living. I was very busy taking care of the children. I was busy doing this and that. Fine. What about the other times when you were not busy doing these things? What about the time that you spend watching your TV screen? Or just gabbing and playing with your friends? Or a Sunday when you're free? So Hashem is judging him not like the Tamit Hakam. He's judging him according to his own capabilities. Did he accomplish his mission? That's the thing. Did we accomplish our mission? Hashem does not expect us to be like Moshe Rabbeinu. Although the Hakim that say, hey, every every human being has has a potential to be like Moshe Rabbeinu, but what does that mean? How could anybody have potential? What does that mean, the potential? It means it goes according to how much you can accomplish as per your capabilities. And we have an evidence to that. It says, Ve'ele toledot Aharon u'Moshe. He is the offspring of Aharon and Moshe. We see over here that Aharon comes before Moshe. And actually the same thing happens in Parashat Va'era where it says, Hu Aharon Moshe. Aharon is first. Now normally Moshe is before Aharon. But you know, here Aharon is first. So Rashi says, Yesh shemakdim Aharon Moshe. There are places where the Torah puts Aharon first before Moshe. And yesh mekomot, there are other places shemakdim Moshe le'aharon, that the Torah puts Moshe before Aaron. Why? Lomar lecha shishkulin ke'ehad to tell you that they are equal. Ah, wait a minute. What do you mean they're equal? How does that mean? We know the parasha we're going to be learning, reading next week, it says, it was never a Navi like Moshe Rabbeinu. No one. So how can it be that they're equal? Hashem told Miriam and Aaron, both. Moshe Rabbeinu is a special nevoah above everybody else. I speak to him mouth to mouth. Clearly. And not with puzzles. So what does that mean? That they are equal. I'll give you an example. I have two people, Reuven and Shimon. 
Reuven makes $50,000 a year. And Shimon makes $100,000. Now, absolute numbers, Shimon makes more. After two years, uh, Reuven was making 50000 now is making 150000 And Shimon, that was making a hundred, is making 200000 So still, Shimon makes more. However, both of them have advanced a hundred thousand. One go one from fifty to one fifty, that's a hundred thousand difference, and the other one from a hundred to two hundred, again same thing, a hundred thousand difference. The performance was equal. In absolute terms, of course, the one that made two hundred thousand is a little bit more. But you see, Akadosh Baruch Hu tends to measure by the amount of effort the person puts in not the absolute amount. Moshe Rabbeinu started out at a higher level than Aharon. Let's say on a scale of 1 to 100, Moshe Rabbeinu started at 40 and went all the way up to 100. So he had an increment of 60. Aharon started maybe from 20. But he went to 80. So in absolute terms, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu was greater. However, Rabbi Moshe Faisin says the achievement is the same. And the rewards are equal. That's the important thing. How much effort we put in? According to our level. According to our capabilities. According to what we can possibly do in this world. But you have to somehow look at your capabilities and try to maximize them. In the performance of Torah study. In the performance of the mitzvot. That is the main thing. And when we say everyone has the potential to be like Moshe Rabbeinu, perhaps we mean just that. That Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, no one can be equal to him absolutely in absolute ways, but maybe in your own capabilities, maybe you can perform as much. And you can have that potential to perform as much. It's just a matter of you willing to do so. And if really you want it and you go after it, you will be able to do so. And I hope that after listening uh, to this uh, shiur today, I hope that each one of you will try his best. Make the best effort he can in order to achieve the maximum that he can do, actually do. And as that Hashem, if we all work that way, we'll be so happy to have Mashiach Sitkenu Bekarov Amen Kedasa. Let me just remind you uh, again that uh, uh, if you can, please try to help this station. And if you can contribute, please make an effort to do so. And if you have a simha, you call our uh, our office at SLC. And believe me, we'll be very happy to accommodate you. Shalom Aleichem, Shavuot Tov.